chapter 12. If you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles uh, and turn there with me, Romans chapter 12. Uh, if anybody needs a Bible, we do have some up here. And uh, we've got some guys who will help us pass these out. Um, but if you need a, a Bible, we've got those for you. Romans chapter 12. We're going to go to verse number 1 and 2 today. Romans 12, 1 and 2. This topic of worship I'm particularly passionate about. Um, I believe it is so imperative and so important that we worship in the way that the scriptures have dictated and have commanded for us to do so. And if we dive in and really grab a hold of this, we're going to find out that it's not as hard as sometimes people make it out to be. But it is critically important uh, because the Lord is looking. As we learned last week, the Lord is looking and he desires for true worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we're going to look at Romans today. I'm going to ask you if you please rise and stand in honor of God's word for our initial and primary reading of it today. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You may be seated. Over the last five weeks, we've dived into this topic. Uh, we began by looking at the reason why Cain and his offering was rejected and why he was he was rejected in himself because he did not do what the Lord asked him to do. And we shifted and we looked at Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, and how they offered strange fire on the altar. And the Lord rejected and then brought judgment upon them by consuming them with fire. And then last week, we jumped into the conversation that Jesus has with the woman at the Samaritan well where they are having this conversation about what true worship looks like. And Jesus reveals that the Father is looking for true worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to look specifically at what he is asking from us in worship. All born-again converted believers that are followers of the Lord, this is a topic that very much should be on our concern, on our heart, a part of our focus. And so I'm going to pay special close attention to a few things in this text today. It'll take us a couple weeks to get through everything because there's so much just in these two verses to help us outline what worship really looks like. And so we're going to break it down in this way. We got four things to look at in these two verses. The first one is the why of the commitment of worship. That's the first question we always have to ask is the why. Uh, we have to figure out what is our motivation? Why should we do this? The second one is the depth. How far do we go in our commitment to worshiping the Lord? The demands of the commitment. What is God actually demanding or asking of us? And after it's all said and done, after the, the product of true worship, what is the results of true worship uh, of the commitment of that in our life? And so today we're going to look at the why. And we see the why outlined for us in the beginning of verse number one. I'm going to go back and read it again. Romans 12:1 says, I appeal to you, therefore. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Rome. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, what helps us in understanding what Paul is getting at here in Romans chapter 12 
is to go back and read the first 11 chapters of Romans, which clearly we don't have time to do in this context today. But when you read the first 11 chapters of Romans, Romans chapter 12 makes a lot of sense. Because Romans chapter 1 through 11 speaks to the mercies of God. This is my favorite book, by the way. I say this a lot. This is my favorite book to have someone read or go through and study with them when Christians are struggling with sin, when they're struggling in their commitment to Christ, when they're struggling in their relationship with the Lord. Go back and read Romans. Go back and study Romans. So chapters 1 through 11 is all about the mercies of God. The, the length and the depth of God's love is demonstrated in the form of his mercy. So now chapter 12 pivots, and what Paul begins to do is say, now here's what you do with the reality of God's mercy that you just learned. A person that worships in a way that God accepts is a person that feels, comprehends, has experienced, and has not forgotten in their life the everlasting mercies of God. Now, what is mercy? Mercy is unmerited favor. That, at its core, that, that, that is its most simplistic biblical definition. It is unmerited favor. It is favor being shown to you that you don't deserve. It's God showing us love when we don't deserve love. It's God showing us grace when we don't deserve grace, which is always. It's God giving us blessings even when we don't deserve those blessings. It's God granting us forgiveness even when we don't deserve to be forgiven. It's, a, it's God allowing us, even at its core, to live out this life that we don't deserve to live. Hang with me. This sounds harsh, but it is true. If we got what we deserved, then the first sin that we committed, we would have immediately and overwhelmingly died for all eternity and been under the wrath of God. That's justice. That's fair. Because at that point, we become rebels of the kingdom. We have, we have infringed on the holiness of God. And God is so holy that he cannot tolerate evil. And at the sight of our first sin, we would have been done for for good. But a couple of God's character traits that are so important is that he is long-suffering and he's patient. And what that means is that he desires out of his heart that all men come to repentance, that they turn from their sin and turn to the mercies of God given through Jesus Christ. He has a desire that men would do that. And so he allows our life to continue on, even though he would be justified in, in putting us under his wrath at the sight of first sin. He allows our life to continue on so that he desires that we would turn from them. That's mercy. That's unmerited favor. That's, that's, that's favor that we did not earn. The penalty of sin is death. It didn't say the penalty of sins over time is dying slowly. It says the penalty of sin is death. So God shows us mercy by allowing us time, a window. That's what this life is, right? It's a window of time to repent. 
Not only do we get mercy, that we, unmerited favor that we don't deserve, but we get new mercies every morning. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I can't say that without great is your Old hymn, sorry. I thought I was going to sing it, and I was like, these people don't want to hear me sing it. Because then every bit of uh, holiness would have left the room. But, but his mercies are new every morning. Like, think about that. Like, we're just waking up, and we're grumpy. And we're, we're shaking the cobwebs off the eyes. We got bedhead. And our breath smells like a factory. And God's mercies have renewed. That's pretty amazing that we don't just get God's mercies in the first place, but they're new every morning. You wake up in the morning, new mercies. You go to bed at night, you better put a smile on your face because you're going to wake up, new mercies. That's pretty amazing, right? The biggest hurdle to people recognizing the grace of God in our culture today is a failure to recognize how much we don't deserve it. I think most of us feel like we deserve some amount of mercy, but that's the whole point of mercy is that you don't deserve it. Society likes to tell us we're generally good people. We're just a little flawed. No, no, we're not good people at all. We are rebels of the kingdom. We have violated God's terms of holiness the scriptures tell us that our hearts are deceptively wicked. All you have to do is raise a child to see that you don't have to teach them how to lie. You don't have to teach them how to be deceitful. You don't teach, have to teach them how to rebel. It is, built, it, it is our inherent sinful nature. We don't like to admit that, but man, once you recognize and you just admit that I am deceptively wicked, you know, it kind of hurts to say on the inside, but it's freedom because then I realize that I don't have to earn righteousness on my own. When left to our own vices, not only do we do evil, but we scheme evil. We premeditate it. I know, man, it's tough to hear, but that's reality, right? And the only, the, the, in my life, the only reason why I haven't done the most vile things on the face of the earth is because of God's goodness. He kept me from those things. Now, that's not, maybe not the perspective of society. You know, everybody's generally a good person. But it is the perspective of the kingdom of God as it looks through the lens of God's holiness. And this perspective sees all infractions of God's holiness to be an all-out assault on the Holy One. So when we stop reminding ourselves of how precious our opportunity is to receive the mercy of the living God, what happens is our priorities get all realigned and messed up and our commitment to the things of God weakens, we become apathetic, we become indifferent, and at worst, we walk in outright rebellion. It always starts from a place of failing to recognize God's mercy. I want to read to you a story out of a commentary that, that I read as I was studying this. Uh, he's talking to this particular preacher, and he said, I said, what has been your approach to solving the problems yourself? She replied, I've tried everything. I've attended churches where they speak in tongues, have healings, have all kinds of extraordinary spiritual experiences. I've spoken in tongues myself, had ecstatic experiences, been prophesied over, experienced several supposed miracles. I've been slain in the spirit. But despite all that, I'm not pleased with my life, and I know God isn't pleased. 
I've tried to get everything from him that I can, but I'm not satisfied. I'm still miserable and I want more. The preacher responds and says, I think you have put your finger on the problem. The key to spiritual victory and true happiness is not in trying to get all we can from God, but in giving all that we are and have to him. He goes on to elaborate, countless thousands of people today, including many genuine Christians, flock to various churches, seminars, and conferences in search of personal benefits, practical, emotional, and spiritual, that they hope to receive. They do just the opposite of what Paul so plainly emphasizes in Romans 12, 1 through 2. In this forceful and compassionate exhortation, the apostle does not focus on, on what more we need to receive from God, but on what we are to give him. The key to a productive and satisfying Christian life is not in getting more, but in giving all. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Living an abundant Christian life is not about getting the most from God that you can, draining as much blessings as you can out of the proverbial spiritual spigot. What we fail to realize often is that what we're actually doing when we try to get more out of God is it's just manifesting our sinful cravings to always want more we fail to realize that the scriptures have already told us that we've already received everything that the Lord has to offer. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every, not some, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, God didn't give you 8% of himself, he gave you 100% of everything. So God, who already has given you every spiritual blessing, he didn't hold anything back. He didn't even do 99.999%. He gave you 100% of everything that he is and he had to offer in spiritual blessings. And we're here asking for more. God, I just want more from you. I just want more from you. And the scriptures declare he's already given all. He didn't hold anything back. So what more do we want? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. If these, if, these, if these verses are true, and if we believe the Bible is authoritative and absolutely correct, which we do, then isn't it true that if we are trying to get more from God, it's actually coming more from a place of selfishness than it is from a place of just desiring more of God? Because he said he's already given us everything. Is worshiping with the intent, intent that God is going to give us or do more things, isn't that sort of like we've heard before, like some sort of paganism where they, 
beat on their chest and they sacrifice certain things and they get louder and louder so that they can try to manipulate God to, for God to give them things that they want. It's, it comes from a place of not true worship. It comes from a place of I want things. You see why this is so important that we make sure it's true. God's already given us all things. The scriptures declare that you cannot receive any more from God than what you have already received. And if you look at that and say, well, that leaves me kind of feeling, uh, I don't know, unfulfilled, then you don't understand the mercies of God. And that's the whole point of what we're talking about today. Sometimes we fail to worship as we should because we forgot just how much God forgave us. We forgot that the pit, the disgusting, rotten pit that he pulled us out of. We forgot the hell that he saved us from. He's already opened up heaven and showered every blessing in the person of Jesus Christ. What more do we want from him? He's already given it all. You cannot have any more of God than you already possess. If you feel like you need more of God, it's simply because you have not submitted to him completely and entirely. You want more of God. It doesn't come from screaming and making more noise. It comes from getting on your knees and submitting back to the throne. So, Josh, you're basically telling me the answer to all of my anxiety, the answer to all of the tension in my life, the answer to all of the turmoil going on, the lack of commitment, the apathy, the lack of clarity, the struggle that I'm in is returning to true worship. Yep. It's as simple as that. And for some of us, the biggest hurdle we have in returning to, to, to true worship is remembering the mercies of God. God. 